0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding
1: Genius Podcast. Uh, My guest comes from far away. She's in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia at the University of Malaya. Her name is uh, Indra by uh, She's a professor of parasitology, and we're going to talk about uh, her work in in parasites. So, Indra, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. So, you're in uh, if you're in Malaysia, it must be like the very very early morning for you, right? Yeah, it's
2: five a.m.
1: Oh, that's that's very early. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, for getting up so early to to do this. I appreciate it very much. Well, very good. Uh, Indra, tell me about your work with parasites. Um, How long have you been working with them? What got you interested in them?
2: Okay, I've been working on malaria parasites and their vectors for a long time. I started working on them uh, in the early 80s. And in in the early 1990s, we had a project on um, the use of treated insecticide, treated bed nets for malaria control. So we were the first to do it. In Malaysia, to see how effective the insecticide-treated bed nets would be, and at the end of the project, uh, we found that there is a significant difference when people use insecticide-treated bed nets compared to indoor residual spraying. So my work on malaria starts way back from then. So people,
1: what what, they would use these nets that are treated with uh, anti-malarial substances, or what what do the nets look like? When are they used?
2: they are treated with insecticides. So when the mosquito comes to try and bite the people, it will move up and down the net. So the mosquito picks up enough insecticide to kill itself.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So is this mostly used when people are sleeping? Or um, yes. when do they use because
2: it? the malaria mosquitoes in those days, they come to bite people late in the night. When people are indoors, when they are going to bed. Okay, so got it. So that is why the uh, nets became effective and they were able to bring down the cases of malaria. See, okay. prior to the use of insecticide-treated bed nets, they used to do residual spraying of the walls. That means they spray the walls indoors, the walls of people's houses. Because the mosquitoes had a habit, the Anopheles mosquitoes had a habit of resting on the walls going to bite the person, resting again before it flies off. So the mosquito picks up enough insecticide to kill itself. But huh. after many years of spraying, the mosquitoes changed their behavior.
1: Really? They used
2: to come indoors. They will bite and fly out. So that is when insecticide-treated bed nets came
1: into play. Well you said the, the malaria, the mosquitoes changed their behavior?
2: Yes, because nowadays the mosquitoes are biting earlier in the night, especially after the use of insecticide-treated bed nets. The mosquitoes are biting earlier and they are biting outdoors. So, so now, mosquitoes huh. biting, you can, you can, if you look at the research that was done in the 80s, the 90s, and then if you start looking at the research that was done late 2000s, you can see the difference in the biting habits of the mosquitoes.
1: How could the mosquitoes know to change their habits? Do they smell or sense the, uh, the insecticide?
2: It is like um, not all mosquitoes get killed. So these are the jet, these are mosquitoes that like their genes are carried down. So the mosquitoes that survive, so they will know that is the behavioral change of the mosquitoes. They are smart themselves. So that is why nowadays, in Southeast Asia, to get rid for malaria elimination, we are having a problem because the mosquitoes are biting very early in the night. They come to bite around 6, 7, 8 p.m. And the mosquitoes are biting more outdoors than indoors.
1: Well, is there any benefit of that? You know, if people are indoors. But um, are there people, less mosquitoes that come in?
2: Most rural areas are outdoors during that mm. time. Mm. They are checking with friends, and they congregate together. So most of them are outdoors in the early part of the evenings, and that's when they get bitten. Mm. And of course now, in um, Malaysia and in Southeast Asia, we now have a problem with simian malaria parasites that are transmitted from the monkeys to the human via the mosquitoes.
1: How do they transmit it to people from the monkeys? Okay.
2: So the mosquitoes, the Anopheles mosquitoes, pick up the the parasites from the monkeys and transmit it. After they go through the cycle in the mosquito, they become the infective stage, the sporozoid stage, and then they are able to transmit the parasite to the human when they bite humans. Now this is something that was actually discovered way back in the 1960s by the Americans.
1: Wait, so what's the difference between a mosquito biting someone directly and it going into a monkey first is that make it more virulent or I mean what
2: No, it is see there are certain parasites that are found malaria parasites that are found in the monkeys. And in the 1960s when the work was done in the laboratory some of the scientists got infected with this monkey malaria parasite In the laboratory with infected mosquitoes by infected mosquitoes so they were very excited so they came down to malaysia and they wanted to do work on monkey malaria so they did a lot of screening they screened people they looked for mosquitoes and they were not able to find any infected case but in 1965 the first case of monkey malaria that was plasmodium nullacy was found in an American surveyor who was living or who was working in the jungles of Pahang in Malaysia. He was fortunate that he went back to America in time when he fell ill. And it was in America that they discovered he was actually suffering from Plasmodium nolocyte. Because when you look at these malaria parasites under microscopy, they are very closely look alike. The human and the simian malaria parasite look very much alike. So it was not easy to tell apart. Mm. But when they inoculated the blood into the monkey, the racist monkeys died. And whereas the, um, the long-tailed macaques, they survived and they showed a 24-hour cycle. And thus, they knew that they were dealing with simian malaria parasite, plasmodium knowlesi. So they mm. came to Malaysia. And they did more work. They did not find any cases, but they found a lot of new parasites in monkeys. And they did find mosquitoes with a parasite, but these mosquitoes did not come to bite humans. So at that time, they made a ruling or a hypothesis that simian malaria will remain with the monkeys and it is only the human malaria that will be transmitted to the human. Okay, so that, was, that went on until 2004 when a landmark paper was published in Lancet to show that Plasmodium nolesi, a simian malaria parasite, was being transmitted to humans. Mm. So after 2004, a lot of work was done in Malaysia. We do molecular detection and we now find that there are many cases of Plasmodium nolesi in human. So we have almost eliminated human malaria in this country, but we have a large number of plasmodium nolici among the human. And this so, is so true.
1: Okay, yes. So wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm trying to understand why this is a, um, a big problem. Do the monkeys come in contact with humans a lot? Or is it... Uh,
2: um, with deforestation and changes mm-hmm. in landscape. The monkeys have come more towards the forest age and the farms and plantations. And the mosquito vectors have followed these monkeys. So now the monkeys, the mosquitoes, and the humans are in close contact with each other. Mm. So humans are getting infected when they go to the forest or when they go to the farms or plantations. That is what is happening.
1: I see. Okay. And malaria was almost eradicated from Malaysia?
2: Or you Uh, said that we have not we have not got the ready supposed to be obtained this year, but now with COVID 19, I do not know what is going to happen because you must be malaria free, human malaria free for three years before WHO can give you the malaria elimination status.
1: Jesus, what happens if you? uh, Oh, so you want the WHO's uh, blessing to say that what uh, Malaysia is malaria free?
2: Yeah, if we do know get WHO is the body that uh, the status of malaria free to all countries. So, we are Malaysia is in the process. But we have a large number of Plasmodium malicii. And now we also find there is another simian malaria parasite, that's Plasmodium cynomogae. It is also being transmitted. And the malaria, simian malaria parasite, is not only found in Malaysia but it has been reported from all countries in Southeast Asia, with the exception of Timor-Leste. Perhaps they have not looked for it. And Malaysia perhaps is finding more cases because we are using molecular techniques and also because the number of human cases of malaria has come down. So perhaps people are losing their immunity.
1: So um, the fact that that the mosquitoes are biting... In the early evening now, and doing it more outside. Yes. What's a countermeasure to that? You know, what, what else has changed that, in those that mosquitoes why, besides that, that?
2: Why we are having a lot of problems? We do not know um, how to um, how to prevent the mosquitoes from being bitten. Of course, there are repellents. I know in America they use a lot of repellents to keep away the mosquitoes in summer, but. Uh, repellents are not cheap and people living in the rural areas really cannot afford to buy these repellents. Repellents are expensive. One of the best repellents is of course DEET is good repellent and it's expensive. So the people are not going to buy um, repellents and use them. So that's why we are still thinking what is the best method that can be used to prevent outdoor biting mosquitoes. It is not easy to get rid of mosquitoes that are biting outdoors and are biting in the early part. So this is a challenge for us.
1: But if you're thinking that um, mosquitoes were selected for the ones that don't go into houses, and, you know, stick to the walls and bite people, maybe there's something else different about them, genetically, phenotypically, etc. Yeah, Has anyone these- characterized them to see if they're the exact same as the mosquitoes that used to bite before, or are they different
2: I mean, uh, as you mentioned, these are the ones that uh, were not exposed to the insecticide. They did not, it is their progeny that is being uh, smart. So, what we refer to as behavioral changes. And so, these are the mosquitoes that are now biting outdoors and in the early part of the night. That's why I always say that mosquitoes are smarter than humans.
1: Well, why would. Uh... Are mosquitoes nocturnal? Like why would they bite late at night before and now they bite earlier?
2: Like what do okay, they I mean I, I you see, among among mosquitoes, again, different species of mosquitoes have different biting times. For instance, the Aedes mosquito, which transmits dengue, it bites during the daytime. It bites at dusk and dawn.
1: Mm.
2: Whereas the Culex mosquitoes, which transmit uh, Japanese encephalitis, they will bite at night. Anopheles mosquitoes and the Culex mosquitoes bite towards the early part of the night come back to the Anopheles mosquitoes. The Anopheles mosquitoes used to bite in the later part of the night. Perhaps they found that was the best time. So they come out late at night and bite. But when people start to take protective measures, the behavior of the mosquitoes change.
1: Yeah, um, I understand that. I just wonder if anything else about them has changed. Is anyone observing the mosquitoes and looking at their DNA and looking at their uh, their epigenetics if they have them and seeing what's changed in them and their eating habits different to their, you know, what's different except the biting time. Maybe there's other things that have come along with it that could be used as an advantage to, you know, to get rid of them.
2: Um, and we have also found that even among the Anopheles mosquitoes, the simian malaria parasite are transmitted by a certain group of the Anopheles mosquitoes, not all. Um, these mosquitoes, we refer to as they belong to the leucospirus group of mosquitoes. And these mosquitoes bite both the monkeys and the humans. So in the 60s, it was, it was very difficult for us to come across these leucospirus group of mosquitoes. But now we find that the leucospirus group of mosquitoes is more common than the other Malaria mosquitoes. As I said, it could be due to deforestation. Their their habitats have been changed. The monkeys have come out, and so now these mosquitoes have a chance of biting not only the monkeys, but they have also adapted to biting the human.
1: Mm. Okay. Um, so, what what are some of the new strategies that Malaysia is looking at to uh, you know to reduce their uh their effect to get rid of malaria
2: now as Mal- malaysia is concerned they have done well with um with human malaria they've managed to bring it down to very very low levels and they claim that over the last uh, three years they have been free of um, indigenous cases of human malaria but now uh, plasmodium nolesi is um we have quite a large number 89 percent of our malaria cases are actually plasmodium nolesi And we have a a huge project in Peninsular Malaysia to actually study the vectors and to look at the distribution of the cases in Peninsular Malaysia. Because so far from 2004 until now, most of the studies were done in Malaysian Borneo. That is what we call as um, Sabah and Sarawak is Malaysian Borneo. Most of the studies have been done there. We have established the vectors there. But very little is known about the vectors in Peninsular Malaysia. Uh, and so we have a huge project where we are studying not only the mosquitoes, we are also studying the, um, the genetic structures of the parasites in, from the mosquitoes, the human, the macaques, that's the monkeys. And we are trying to put, up, put this together to see what is happening. And we are also trying to develop a rapid diagnostic test because we feel that it is important to have a rapid test so that people can just take a drop of blood, put it on the dipstick and see whether the patient has the malaria parasite because uh, microscopy is not going to be very useful because it's not easy to identify between human malaria parasites or Simian malaria parasites, and also we have noticed that people are asymptomatic. That means they're having the parasites, but they are not showing signs and symptoms. Mm. So it is important to detect and treat the people. That is in that well, is one well, way.
1: Wait this, a minute. Wait. Treat what people? Everyone or asymptomatic people? Whoever
2: is asymptomatic. If you happen to take the blood, if they have the parasite, they're not showing signs and symptoms, it is advisable to treat them.
1: But why? Is it transmitted sexually or what can an asymptomatic person, will they eventually get sick or what
2: That It could be that the parasite is at a very low level. And so the people are not showing signs and symptoms. And it's also among the indigenous population they may have built up uh, immunity towards the parasite. So you may have the parasite, but you won't show signs and symptoms, but you can be infectious to the mosquitoes.
1: Oh, okay. If the mosquitoes bite you, yes. you can you can give them malaria. Well, they won't get sick, but then they'll give it to other people. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So... I mean is that a major vector, or is that uh, like what percentage of people are asymptomatic? I feel like I feel like we're talking about the coronavirus and they're gonna they're gonna quarantine asymptomatic malaria people now you know like what what's the plan there
2: in those days, even when a patient um had dengue, I remember in the seventies when a patient had dengue when he was in hospital, he slipped under a bed net hmm. but these days we don't see such things happening.
1: Oh, what do you mean? I mean, what happened? They just... Uh... See, if a
2: person is uh, having dengue in a hospital, if you go to the hospital, you would not see a person under a bed net. I do not know why they took it off. But, I mean, in those days, I remember when I started my work in the... When we went into hospitals, if a person is dengue, he will definitely be put to sleep under a mosquito net because they do not want the mosquitoes to bite him and transmit them to others.
1: Is so what do they do now? Nothing?
2: I don't know. Now they are not.
1: <laughs> hmm. Okay, well, what, so what, uh, what's, what's your role in this? Do you want to advise the Malaysian government on what to do or are you studying the, the parasite itself for, uh, for ways to counteract it? Like, What's your, your major role in this?
2: Okay, our major role is of course uh, we are working with the, uh, with the government of Malaysia with the Ministry of Health. We are working alongside with them. And we try to find uh, answers for questions. We like try to find out what's happening. What are the vectors that are present, and uh, what is there any genetic differences between the parasites found in the mosquitoes, in the macaques, in the human? We are trying to study that. And okay, what's the difference between uh, the genetic makeup of the mosquitoes that are, of the parasites that are found in Peninsular Malaysia? to those found in Sabah and Sarawak. So these are things that we are studying. And we hope that by we have a project, our, our project, fund, our funding started last year in 2019, and it's supposed to run until 2022. 20, uh, but this year from March, uh, from the time the lockdown started, we have not been able to go out to the field to collect any samples. So you see there is the, there is a backlog in our work. And uh, but we hope that by 2022 we can come up with some answers and we can perhaps think of what really can be done to um, to reduce malaria.
1: Yeah. the
2: number of malaria uh, cases among
1: humans. What, what happens when someone's had malaria? Can they ever be cured of it? Yeah, and if they,
2: so, do, you know, what, they, do, they do treat. The people are treated, and we are fortunate so far in Malaysia. We did not we do not have problem with uh, drug resistance. The artemisinin combination therapy ACT, as we call it, has been effective, and the uh, people can be treated if they go early enough. They can be treated. So the death due to malaria happens when a person goes very late to the hospital. Then it's not. Um, You know, sometimes they succumb to the... Do We have heart mortality. I would say that there was no mortality. There has been, but mortality has been on the very uh, low side. So if people are ill and they go to the hospital, they can be treated. There are drugs.
1: Okay, what happens if someone's treated for malaria and they're, you know, deemed to be cured? What happens if mosquitoes bite them after that? Will they still be able to uh, start malaria up again and mosquitoes that bite them? No,
2: um, if a person has been treated, that means he is clear of the parasite. But one should understand that the malaria parasite, that we have different species of the malaria parasite. For instance, even among the human malaria parasite, plasmodium vivax, that parasite, it can remain, some parasites can remain in the liver stage So that's what we call as the hypnozoid. It can remain in the liver stage in the human for a long time. And all of a sudden, one day, it could just uh, be released from the liver and it can enter the bloodstream and the person can can come down with malaria. That is in the case of vivax. So that is why when people get vivax malaria, the treatment schedule is different. People are treated for 14 days to make sure that the drug helps to clear off all the malaria parasites.
1: Okay, because then they can't be a, a reservoir of, of infection after that. I out to, to get rid of it. But, you know,
2: it does happen. Vibax malaria, uh, it, it, it does happen from time to time that people can have a relapse without being bitten by the mosquito. It's because of this yeah. stage of the parasite that hides in the liver of the human.
1: Mm, okay, got it. So what um what do you think is going to be a uh, a breakthrough once you're able to get out and uh, do sampling? What what do you think is going to be the first step towards uh, tamping down malaria again?
2: Well, um, with simian malaria, we feel that um, more resources. I mean, I think like you know, um, it cannot be just researchers working on it and have and having, and hoping to get um, a breakthrough. We can tell the the controlling bodies or people who are working to control the disease. So we feel, we hope that various bodies out there would play their role and not just say that, you know, um, simian malaria is not part of human malaria and so it will not be taken into consideration when it comes to malaria elimination. See one thing that we feel um, very skeptical is that once you say you have eliminated malaria, everybody forgets that malaria. So when a person comes down with malaria after going to the forest, nobody will think that he's suffering from malaria. Why? Mm. Because we we have eliminated malaria. And this poor guy may succumb to the disease. Why should we have anybody dying from malaria at this point in time? So that is our concern. Feel that At the back of our mind, we must let people know that simian malaria is going to be a force to reckon with. And we need to take steps to try and overcome that
1: problem. Well, now that, uh, you know, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard with the coronavirus, you know, people being locked in their homes, monkeys running everywhere. Perhaps the the simian malaria is, uh, you know, maybe greatly increased during this time. I don't know. And then when, you know, when people come out, um, I guess for a time they'll have to, you know, maybe beat back the monkeys or they may be everywhere. I don't know. There may be a lot of, uh, maybe a huge spike in it.
2: I mean, I think uh, lucky between the parasite and the virus, there are differences because, like, especially like uh, with this uh, coronavirus, you see it can be like transmitted from human to human. Uh, it doesn't go through a mosquito. But in this case, for a malaria parasite uh, to get Infected, the person of course uh, needs to be bitten, or the only other way is like congenital. Of course, a mother who is having a malaria parasite when she gives birth, the malaria parasite, especially at her last stages of giving birth, if she's down with malaria, her she can pass the parasite to the fetus. And also, if a person receives blood transfusion, it can be transmitted that way too. But it is mainly through the mosquito bite. So um, the only thing is that uh, we must always remember at the back of our minds that the two main um, malaria parasites that is affecting humans, the Plasmodium falciparum and Plasmodium vivax, 50,000 years ago, those parasites were found in the non-human primates and they jumped the barrier and became adapted to humans. So this is our fear that if we do not do anything now, Maybe down the line that these simian malaria parasites like Plasmodium nolici, Plasmodium cyanomogar may jump host and may become adapted to humans. That is Mm. something because these parasites can mutate very fast. So we can say they've eliminated malaria, but after many years, we will have malaria.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Well, Indra, uh, what's the best way for people to keep tabs on the work that you're doing and to learn more about malaria? Where should they go?
2: Well, we publish all our papers that we uh, that we work on. We make sure that we publish all our findings. It's always published in all um, research journals. We present them at conferences, and um, we do um, inform people. You know, we, uh, our our is always the data that we have obtained,
1: always to the people. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Indra, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
0: Okay.